Glad that you chose to come and worship with us at Warunga today. Because we are beginning part two of a ten-part series. The series is called A Global Warning. And this is a series on human survival. Now before we start, I want to ask you to bow your heads one more time. And we will ask Jesus, the God of the Bible, to be with us through the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, high God of all the heavens, that you have been here in the church this morning. We come here this morning seeking a blessing from you, seeking the truth of what is ahead for our world and how we can survive it. And so because we are seeking you, God, we would pray that you will send the Holy Spirit to stay here in this church, to open the minds of the people, to speak through the feeble pastor, the speaker of the hour, and to, Lord, advance your cause in all our hearts and minds. This is our prayer. Because we desire, we long, we thirst for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's, the title of today's subject is A Phantom Menace. When I was still a very small boy, my father built a boat. And he built, and he is very good. I have a father. He is now a pastor, a retired pastor. At the time he was a farmer, and he is very good with his hands. And he built this beautiful flat-bottom drag boat. And the reason he built this boat is because he wanted to take his boys out onto the lake and teach them how to ski. And I learnt to water ski, yes, believe it or not, at a very young age. I've been water skiing since I was six, seven years of age. And I've got to tell you that by the time I was 21, I'd almost water, been water skied out. We had four boats. The first one my father built was called Sia. The second one, he found it and he bought it. It was called Pastime. The third one, my dad built it again. He is a, he is a gifted craftsman. And I named this boat and it was my favourite. And it was called Adios. It had a great big thumping American big block V8 in it. And we were young men by this time and we used to get great pleasure out of this flat bottom drag boat. Uh, the last boat we had, it was, believe it or not, it was called a Lewis. It was actually, and you get a sense of the sort of family I grew up in, it was a boat that was the Victorian naturally aspirated drag boat quarter mile champion. Did you get that? It was a mouthful, wasn't it? What I'm telling you is the boat was fast and we used to love water skiing. In fact, I, I remember my youth and water skiing is right up there in my life as one of the major pastimes of my youth when I was a young man. This is the dam. You can see it on the screen that I used to go to with my family and my friends. It's called Somerset Dam. Believe it or not, the dam's almost empty now. And we used to ski up an alley called Barefoot Alley. And yes, it's true. And I know a lot of you young people struggle to believe this. But yes, I can barefoot if I can find a boat that's powerful enough to drag me now. <laughs> and I do slalom water ski. And one day I'm going to go up with the fats to their lake and I'm going to prove it. But uh, this was a place where we spent many, many days and weeks through the years of our youth. And I remember as I, I grew up and became a young man, I was a builder. I had an old 1967 F100. 
And I would take that out there on the weekends we would go skiing and I would put a mattress in the back of this F100 and sometimes I would just lie there and I would look up at the sky and Somerset's out of the city so you can see the sky. We need to get out of the city more and have a look at the sky and the stars that God made. I wasn't worshipping God at this time. I wasn't following Jesus Christ. I knew about him, but every time that I got in my F-100 and I got on the, uh, on the mattress and I looked up at the sky, my, my mind and my heart and my soul was drawn to God. That's what happens when you're out in the country and you can see the stars, something we don't always see here in Sydney. And I knew the truth, that I wasn't living the truth. There's a difference between knowing the truth of the Bible and living the truth of the Bible. But I knew the truth. I knew the doctrines of the Bible because I'd been taught them by my mother and father from the time I was a small baby. And, and as I would lie in the back of that F-100 with my heart cold to God, I would look up at the stars and even though I wasn't following the Lord, I would be directed in my mind, perhaps by the Holy Spirit, perhaps by my upbringing, to the story that we're going to look at this morning. The story of a great war. A war between two powerful entities. And if you have your Bible, we're going to look at this story this morning. I want to invite you to open to Revelation. Last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. And it reads like this. And this is where the story starts. The Bible says, now remember... Those of you who don't know the context of the story, we're going way, way back before the world was created. There was no world at this time. There were no human beings. There was no planet called Earth. And we're going right back and we're going right up into heaven. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael, that's Jesus and his angels, fought against the dragon, that's Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back. Here you have two great warriors and their armies. And they are facing off, can you believe it, against each other in heaven. On one side you have Jesus Christ and his angels. Jesus is the king of the universe, the prince of light, the great God of all. On the other you have Lucifer. This is a real rebellion. This is the first rebellion that the universe had ever seen. And you have Lucifer, the head angel of heaven, a being that has been glorified and honoured above all other created beings, and he has rebelled against God. And the Bible says there was war, there was war in heaven. This is not a subject that many preachers, that, that many denominations like to really investigate too much. Now, I, I, I guess I, I'm not apologising, but we are going to look at Lucifer for a few moments this morning, and then we are going to look at Jesus. You can't look at Lucifer without going for a bit of a walk into the dark. And I'm sorry about that. But we need to look at this angel. We need to look at what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do to understand him. So we will go into the darkness for a little while this morning. But praise God, as we look at Jesus, we will come back out and we will finish, praise the Lord, in the light. Let's have a look at this angel, Lucifer. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 12, and you can open your Bibles and follow along with me. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 12, talking about Lucifer. 
And this is before the fall, this is as the war is starting to heat up. It says, you, you Lucifer, were the seal of perfection. You're full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now I have a wife who keeps me on my toes, let me tell you. And sometimes when I'm misbehaving, and I know that might be hard for you to believe, but yes, I'm more than capable of misbehaving at times. She'll look at me with this, and, and it's a Dian look. And she'll look at me with this Dian look and she'll say, what's your problem? And you read this story about Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection. You were created full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And I think we can look at him this morning. We can look at Lucifer, just as Dian does with me, with that Dian look. And we can say, Lucifer, what's your problem? Verse 14, look at this. You were the anointed cherub who covers. That means he was the head angel of heaven. He stood in the throne room of God. His wing was over the throne room. He was the cherub who covers over the throne. No more important created being in all the universe. What's your problem, Lucifer? You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. But something happens to this angel, to this beautiful, to this majestic being who stood next to God, who was honoured above all other created beings, who saw the worship and the honour that was given to God. Something happens to Lucifer. Because in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12, again, follow in your Bibles with me. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12, if you've got your Bibles this morning, don't rely on the screen, open them, follow along the study. Something happens. And Lucifer falls. He falls from his majestic, lofty position. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12, Isaiah the prophet's in vision and he sees the story of the great rebellion. How you, says Isaiah under inspiration from God, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. And here's the problem, for you have said, this was Lucifer's problem. And let me tell you, it's still a problem of the world today. This spirit still lives in the hearts of many of us, even in this church this morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Here's the problem. Lucifer says, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I, 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 verse 14, I will ascend above the clouds. I will be like the most high. Lucifer, who's been standing next to God in the throne room, who's been watching God receive honour and worship, begins to long for it himself. And I find this very interesting, because Lucifer did not want to replace God. He wanted to be God with God. And a created being cannot take that privilege. It belongs to God and God alone. Now I want to tell you this morning that the Bible has some interesting things to say about Lucifer, who we now call Satan. And this morning, just for a few moments, and this is the dark walk, we're going to take some snapshots of the devil. Number one, Job chapter 2 verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the tops of his head. Go out and read the story of the book of Job. It really does unmask Satan for who he is. 
Satan goes out and afflicts Job with sores. The first point I want to tell you about this morning is the fact that Satan is the cause of all sickness. Yes, he is. AIDS. Satan is the author. He is the originator. He is the creator of that terrible virus that has killed so many millions and not just adults, children around the world and will continue to kill millions. That comes from Satan. Ebola, that, that terrible virus disease that, that melts people from the inside out, was created, was designed, was made by Satan. The common flu, which I suffer from almost every season, is made, is designed, is created by Satan. And I have no doubts in my mind whatsoever that as the different viruses of the flu come out, the mutations, these are mutations that come from the mind, from the hands of the devil himself. And the Bible very clearly tells us that it is Satan that causes all the sicknesses that curse mankind. Now true, 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 we can aid the devil. Sometimes we abuse our bodies in our diet. We abuse our bodies with alcohol, drugs, tobacco. Yes, we can aid the cause of the devil in destroying our bodies. But make no mistake this morning, the Bible says very clearly that Satan, the devil, Lucifer, who was once the high angel of heaven, is responsible, is the creator, the originator of all sickness that curses mankind. Secondly, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, your enemy. Understand that this morning. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Listen to me this morning, folks. Satan has, Lucifer has an antipathy. He has a dislike, an intense hatred for you. And I can tell you now that the human race would not exist except for the grace of God. Believe it or not. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in a God or not. You are alive. Your heart beats. You have air in your lungs today because of God and his mercy. Because it is him who puts his hand before Lucifer and stops Lucifer, stops Satan from wiping out the entire human race. You cannot begin to understand the hatred that Satan, that Lucifer and his demon followers have for each of you. Thirdly, John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says, You belong to your father the devil. Now Jesus is talking here, and he's talking to the Pharisees who were followers, literally followers, inspired by Lucifer in in the New Testament. These were the people that gave Jesus such a difficult time when he came to earth to save their planet. There's an interesting story. You pick the story up in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and here's Jesus and he's talking to these followers of Satan. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lucifer, Satan, is a liar. He is a murderer. All the wars, all the holocaust, I've been to Auschwitz. I've seen the ovens where thousands, hundreds and thousands of people were slaughtered for no other reason than their religion or their race or some other thing that may have made them different. That's Lucifer. That's Satan at work in the hearts and minds of mankind. He is a murderer. All the wars, all the holocausts, all the murders, all the crimes, 
All the lies, all the deceptions, all the frauds, all the dishonesty. Yeah, they come from Lucifer. They come from Satan. He is the originator, the creator, the author of all these things. Let's keep moving. First John chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. First John chapter 3, verse 8. Listen, Lucifer, Satan, he is a creator, he is the originator, he is the author of all that is sinful and is evil. And without him, we would not have sin, we would not have evil, we would not have darkness in the earth. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. Lucifer is the originator, the creator of sin. And where does it lead? Follow Lucifer. What does the Bible say? It leads to death. Every accident, and I've seen a few on the road, every terrorist attack. I think terrorist attack where young people, generally young people, strap bombs to their bodies and walk into shopping centres or walk into restaurants and blow other innocent people up is perhaps one of the biggest examples of the work of Lucifer, of Satan, of demons in people's lives today. You can't do that unless you're demon-possessed. Every accident, every terrorist attack, every war death, every, listen to this, every old age death, every death from sickness, every death from murder, every death has its authorship. It comes from the depths of Satan himself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, the Bible says, And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap, Paul says, the rider of the devil. The devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Satan sets traps to entice people. And you know, there are a lot of trapdoor spiders just in this area where this church is. I used to live just down the road. A lot of holes, trapdoor spiders. They put a little web out that's nice and shiny and silky. And an insect will see it. It'll be attracted to the shiny silkiness of what's happening. And it lands just near the trapdoor's nest. The, the, the nest of the trapdoor pops up. And in an instant, that trapdoor spider is out and has devoured that insect. That's what Lucifer is doing to the human race. He traps them. Beautiful women. Husbands at work. His wife's at home with the three children. And his beautiful associate, young woman, showing him attention. He has the power and he looks at her and he starts to think, it's a trap! Well, the alcohol that swirls in the glass... And it looks red and it goes down smooth. It's a trap. Or the club with the lights and the music and the immorality. It's a trap. Or the movie or the working seven days a week. It's a trap by the devil to destroy us. Second last point, Ephesians 2 verse 2. Paul says, you follow the ways of this world and obey the devil. He rules the world. And his spirit has power over everyone who does not obey God. Lucifer is the ruler of this world. He will offer you money. He will offer you fame. He will offer you the highs of life because he is the ruler of this world. But if you go down his road, eventually he will murder you. Death is the only reward for those who follow Lucifer. And last but not least, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, I hope that Satan has not tempted you and made all our work. Paul says, I hope that Satan has not tempted you. Satan is a tempter. Every immoral act, every crime, every selfish, greedy action, every sin is man succumbing to Satan. It's dark, isn't it? 
That's the devil. And he's very busy ingratiating himself into our culture, into our society, into our world. He's in our lifestyle, our lust for wealth, a thirst that can, can never be quenched. We go on holiday after holiday. We, we, we buy new cars. We buy one house and then another house. Satan, saturated. Well, I know this is not popular and this is one I've been challenged with, but he's in sport. He's in our culture, in our society. He's obsession with sport. And we are obsessed with sport. We are obsessed with winning at all costs. I'm watching YouTube the other day and I saw a boxing match on it. Now, I probably shouldn't have even been looking at that. And here's a guy kickboxing and he kicks a guy in the head. The guy's knocked out and the name of sport falls onto the canvas, knocked out cold. And the guy attacks him while he's knocked out cold. Satan saturated. You look at the money and the cheating... You look at the immorality amongst our sportsmen. I'm not talking about a game of soccer or a game of cricket on the beach. I'm talking about how Satan has ingratiated himself into our culture to such an extent that even Christians are accepting a lot of what he's given us these days. And the results of Satan's rule on our planet are pain, crying, tragedy and despair. The world is mortally wounded. And Lucifer is the problem. We can't always see him because he is a spirit. He doesn't always show himself to us, but he is the threat. He is the threat to human survival. And the tragedy is that most people don't even realize that he exists. So now we move into the light. Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend the last 10 minutes of our sermon today on Jesus. I must admit to you when I prepared this sermon, that I, and I've had some experiences, those of you who attend this church have shared with me those experiences where I've been attacked physically by demons. And as I prepared this service, I literally felt the demons walking into the room and had to get on my knees and beg, cry to the Lord for protection and help. I went... To Jesus, And I was impressed, and I'm going to follow this through right now, that before, as we move from the darkness into light for the last 10 minutes of this sermon, I just want to pray one more time in the middle of this sermon. I don't normally do this because we're going into the light now, and I want to go in with Jesus. Will you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, we have looked at the darkness of Lucifer. We have seen the pain and the agony, the despair and the fear that he is causing all of us on this planet. But now we're going for the next few minutes to look at you, Jesus. Bless us. Take us from this dark road with Lucifer into the light with you now, I pray. In your name, amen. Jesus, beautiful Jesus. I feel my heart lift as I begin to talk about Jesus. Some snapshots of Jesus from the Bible. John chapter 1 verse 1. I love this topic. In the beginning, here you have the other player in this war. In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us the Word was made flesh. The Word is Jesus Christ. So I can say in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was who? God. Jesus, make no mistake, 
is God. And if he were to walk into this church in his physical presence this morning, I would fall on my knees in obeisance and worship to him. Not only is Jesus God, the Bible tells us Jesus is a creator. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. We all know this verse. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. Then the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him, by who? For by Jesus. All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus for Jesus. Staggering claim from the Bible. And yet when you look at the beautiful creation, and even though our world is wounded, is hurt and is deteriorating, there are still beautiful things that tell us that there is a God in Jesus who is a wonderful creator. And these things that come from Jesus' mind, these huge mammoth Beautiful whales that swim through the sea like a two-story bus. These elephants. You know, I've been to Africa. I've seen elephants in the life. They literally, they, they shake the ground as they walk. They came out of the mind of Jesus Christ. It was he who thought to give them a trunk. It was he who thought to give them the massive intellect that they have. And then these beautiful eagles. This eagle here, he's flying in the sky above a river and he's just spotted a salmon. And he is turning in mid-flight. Amazing bird. Amazing animal. Created, designed by Jesus Christ. These mountains, grand mountains that rise up out of the earth. That's the Matterhorn. It's a mountain that's just outside the village where my family comes from in Switzerland. It comes from the mind of Jesus. These huge trees. For those of you who don't know, that's the oldest tree in the world. It's called the General Sherman. It's over 2,000 years old. Not only is it the oldest tree in the world, it's one of the tallest comes from the mind, from the intellect, from the creative power of Jesus Christ. He is a creator. He doesn't just make mammoth huge things. He makes little things, acorns, ladybugs, from the smallest cell to the largest living organism to the largest mountain that comes from Jesus. And of course, he made us. Now, do you know those two little girls? I do. Jesus created them. Come here for a minute, Danae. I want to show you something. Is Daniela here? Daniela, come here. Come here, Danae, quickly. Dad's running out of time fast, girl. I just want to show you something very quickly. Look at these two beautiful little creatures who Jesus made. Show me your nose. Point to your nose. It was Jesus who shaped their noses. It was Jesus who shaped her ear. And praise the Lord, it doesn't look like Dad's. It was Jesus who gave Daniela that beautiful, dusky skin. Amen? It was Jesus who's causing my little Danae to spring up like an onion plant. And boy, can she eat. Made by Jesus. Sit down, girls. You, and I know adults don't. Okay. You can go and sit down with mum and dad. Well, dad's here, isn't he? And I know adults don't like doing this. And I know we're running over time now, but bear with me this morning because there's a point to this. Feel your nose. Do it. Come on. 
Well, some of us have a big one, don't we? Made by Jesus. Look at your hands. Designed and created by Jesus. You are God made. And how dare you ever look at yourself and say you are ugly. It's a reason I can get up in the morning out of the shower and look at myself in the mirror and say, praise God. (laughs) And that is a miracle. But I am designed, I am created, I am God made. And God, and it's an old saying, it's a cliche, but it's a fact, God don't make junk. Jesus does not make junk, and you are not junk. And I, I reject absolutely this concept that comes out of Hollywood, that comes from our media, that there are some people who are beautiful, there are some people who are handsome, and there are some people who are ugly and just don't need to be looked at. You are beautiful. Made in the image of God. Every single inch of you. Tall, short, muscular, (laughs) fat, that's not, slim, white, black, red, yellow. Made by God from His mind. That's Jesus. Third thing. Romans chapter 8 verse 39 I love this The Bible says very clearly And if you've got your Bibles I want you to have a look at this There's neither height nor depth Nor anything else in all creation Will be able to separate us from the love of God That is in Christ Jesus our Lord Oh I wish I had another hour to talk to you How quickly the time goes But if you've got nothing else out of this series, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and it's unconditional love. When I'm preparing this program, I went looking for unconditional love and it's hard to find. Even a husband and wife struggle to love each other unconditionally. Perhaps we love our children unconditionally, I'm not sure. I look around, I see dogs. It seems to me they're pretty good at loving each uh, their masters unconditionally. You can kick them, you can abuse them, you can swear at them. Don't do it, but you can do it. They'll love you unconditionally. They'll follow you. They'll protect you. They will love you. God's love is far beyond a Labrador's. It's far beyond a father or a mother to a daughter or a son or a husband to wife. It is unconditional. You can go to the highest mountain in the world and that's it, Mount Everest. You can stand at the bottom and look to the top. God's love is taller. It is higher for you than the highest mountain in the world. It is wider than the widest sea, deeper than the deepest ocean. And I'm not just waxing lyrical here. God's love, Jesus' love for you, it's purer. It is purer than the snow. And snow in its, in its whiteness, it is a pure thing. It, God's love for you, it is, it is longer than the longest road. It is never, it is never, never, never ending. And you know the thing that, that just, amazes me about the love of Christ. And I wish I could, I wish I had English words. I wish I I had statements and sentences to explain the love of Christ better than I do. But the thing that amazes me about the love of Christ is you can turn your back on God, on Jesus Christ. You can walk out of this church, not come back to this series, never look at God again. He will still love you. And when you die the eternal death, which what will happen to you if you turn your back on God, listen to me this morning. You will never be forgotten by God. Through the ceaseless ages of eternity, you who turned your back on God and left Him and never ever followed Him, through the ceaseless ages of eternity, you will continue to live in the mind and the heart of God. He loves you. If only human beings could get a feel, a sense of, of how much God loves them. Loves you. I don't know how else to say it. 
He loves you more than his own life. He loves you more than anything else in his entire experience. He loves you. And it's unconditional love. Jesus promises that he will never, ever leave you. People, their greatest fear I've found in almost 20 years of, of ministry is being left alone. We have friends. We don't want to be alone. Many people get married to a wife or a husband. They don't want to be alone. Their friends leave them. They get divorced. Guess what? Jesus says, I will never. Oh, the love is awesome. It is strong. It is pure. He says, I will, I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Look, only Jesus can satisfy the thirsty longing of your heart, of your soul. I see Madonna, Robbie Williams, Britney Spears, Winona Ryder. They have money, they have mansions, they have fame. But they do not have Jesus and they do not have peace. And you will search your whole life. You will go from job to job. Some will go from wife to wife, husband to husband, from town to town, searching for that thing that only brings satisfaction. And you'll look for it everywhere, but where it can be found, and that's in Jesus Christ. Jesus forgives you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sin wounds us, it stains us, it blackens us, it hurts us, it causes us pain and despair. And there's something soul cleansing about coming to Jesus Christ and getting on your knees and saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me. You know, when I'm doing Bible studies with people, I'm coming to an end too, by the way. I'm not going to go on. I'm going to have to finish this sermon next week. When I'm doing Bible studies with people, and I'm, I've got the joy of bringing them to Jesus. Every single one of them. And those of you who have studied the Bible with me know this is the truth. I get them on their knees. And I get them to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I am your man. I am your woman. Sometimes this is the first time they've ever prayed this prayer. On their knees. I'm your man. And I get them to repeat it after me. Come into my heart, Jesus. Come into my heart, Jesus. I am a sinner and every single time, it doesn't matter whether they're a man who's strong and brave, they start to break down. Come, come into my, my heart, Jesus. Wash me with your blood. And they're crying almost every time. Why? Not because they're upset, because there's something soul cleansing about coming to Jesus and getting forgiveness. Amen? How, oh, I talked to you this morning, and there's a large crowd here as we bring this thing to an end. How many of you this week have had that soul cleansing experience with Jesus Christ? How many of you have been on your knees? I am your man, God. Come into my heart. I am a sinner. Wash me in your blood. The power of the forgiveness of Christ descends and begins to heal. I choose you, God, to be the captain of my life, to be the captain of my family, the captain of my ship. I am your man. Oh, it's a powerful, powerful.
powerful experience and there's not a human being who's ever been created that does not long for, does not need that experience in their life. You were designed not to be with Lucifer, not to live in his dark world, but to be with Jesus Christ. Designed to be with Jesus Christ. And last, or second last, Jesus changes people. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I've seen headhunters in the Solomon Islands teaching Sabbath school. I've seen murderers and rapists in jails in the Philippines getting baptized with the light of Jesus on their face with their lights completely changed. I've seen drug addicts. I've seen prostitutes. I've seen drug runners. I've seen ordinary Ordinary Australian men and women give their lives to Jesus and get changed from the inside out. You want to know what the power, what the proof is that there is a God that exists? It's the change that he brings to your life when you let him inside. And if you're not sure how to let him inside this morning, as we bring this thing to a close, all you've got to do is get on your knees and say, Jesus, Jesus, for the first time this morning, I'm telling you I'm your man. Come into my heart. I'm wounded. I'm hurt. I'm a sinner. Wash me in your blood. I choose you, I choose you, and he does the rest. Praise God, he does the rest. And the last point this morning, Matthew one twenty one, Jesus says he will save people from their sins. He will save us from our sins. And the world is hurt. The world is wounded. If you are living in it, the chances are you are hurt. And you are wounded. And I want to tell you that the very survival of the human race is at stake. There is a great war on between Satan and Jesus. And if you have a look at the world today, people are lining up today. Whose side will you be on? Will you fight with the devil? Will you live in darkness? Will you let him rule and reign in your heart? Or will you live with Jesus? Will you live in the light? Will you find out what it's like to have peace? And will you be saved? Your eternal survival depends on how you answer that question this morning. And I'm, I'm going to finish now, and I'm going to have to finish this sermon next week. And I wonder if you could just bow your heads. If you live in darkness today, and you're feeling the pain of what it is to live under Satan's rule, perhaps your marriage has fallen apart, maybe work is a disaster, Maybe life is just dark, dark, dark. Well, then this morning Jesus calls you. And if you would like to ask Jesus into your heart, then I just want to invite you now to pray this prayer out loud with me. And we'll pray this prayer, and Jesus will hear it, and Jesus will answer. Dear Jesus, I come before you this morning. I am a sinner, and I have lived in darkness. I want you to know this morning that I am yours. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Wash me with your cleansing blood. Jesus, I choose you to be the captain of my life. Thank you for hearing me. In Jesus' name, amen.